Well, we are in the midst of a series called Strengthened, and we talked about this. We're talking, obviously, strengthened. We're talking about strength and and finding our strength in the Lord. But as we talked about last week, one of the ways that the Bible describes life and the Christian walk is as a marathon, and we, we, we can relate to that. I even said maybe it's sometimes like an ultra marathon, right? But, but it is like a marathon. It is, it is long, uh, it is demanding, and it requires an enormous amount of strength. And speaking of marathons and ultra marathons, I don't know how many of you uh, know the name or have heard of the name uh, Shizo Kanakuri. Probably not, I'm guessing. Uh, but he was once the world record holder in the marathon. And he represented Japan in the Stockholm Olympics in 1912. In fact, he was one of only two athletes that Japan sent to the Stockholm Olympics. That's pretty big, you know, pretty big significant, um, you know, thing that he was one of two athletes to be sent. However, because he was only one of two and they couldn't afford to send a whole lot, and back then you didn't just hop on a plane, uh, he had to spend 18 straight days on a train or on a ship to be able to get to Stockholm. And so when he got there, he was absolutely exhausted. As you can imagine, I'm I'm exhausted after one day of traveling, much less 18 on a ship and on a train. On top of that, Stockholm was unseasonably warm that summer. So warm, in fact, that almost half of the marathon runners in the race, in the Olympic marathon race, uh, never finished the race including one Shizo Kanakuri. He made it halfway through the race or partway through the race, but just had no energy whatsoever to continue on, nearly passing out from exhaustion and collapsing and feeling like he had shamed his people. He never reported to the officials that he had dropped out of the race. He just left and went back home to Japan. Well, over 50 years later, some journalists had written about his story and the Swedish Olympic Committee found out that he was alive and they invited him to come back and finish the race, which he did. And he finished his marathon in 54 years, eight months, six days, five hours, 32 minutes, and 20 seconds. So if any of you run a marathon, pretty sure you're going to finish in less time than that. I do like what he said. He said, along the way, it was a long trip. And along the way, I got married, had six children, and, and, and ten grandchildren. So that was his marathon uh, story. But I love the fact that he finished the race. It took a while, but he finished the race. And if you're following Jesus, it can, it can be a long race sometimes. And it's not always easy. And there's going to be some mountains, and there's going to be some valleys. And the enemy is going to tempt you to to tempt the weak runner to stop and drop out of the race. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10 tells us this. If you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? Now, let me say, that is not meant as an insult, but rather it is a warning to you and to me. Challenges and adversity are part of this life. They are an inevitable part of this life. But what we're doing in this series is talking about in the midst of those challenges and in the midst of those adversities that we face, how can we find the strength in the Lord to follow Jesus well and to finish our race? 
Last week we saw in the life of David some takeaways from a time in his life where he needed strength from the Lord. And we saw that when we are strengthened, we can reclaim what the enemy has stolen. We also saw that no one can stay strong for long without God. We also saw that God is eager to make us stronger. And then the other point we talked about is that strength must be pursued and renewed. Something we must go after and it needs to be renewed on a consistent and constant basis. And building off that last takeaway that we talked about last week, what I want to do today is just look at some scriptures and learn how, what, are, what are some things that we can do to help keep us strong so that we can finish the race. What are some practical things that we can implement into our lives that can help us run the race and finish the race with strength? But before we talk about some of the strength builders, as we're going to talk about, I want to spend some time maybe, and I thought it'd be helpful to talk about some strength wreckers or strength sappers or strength killers or however you want. I'm terming it wreckers because it's the opposite of builders, but however you want to term it. Uh, Some strength wreckers in our lives, some things that will absolutely wreck and deplete your strength. Here's the first one, fear and worry. Fear and worry will absolutely wreck your strength. No one can be powerful and fearful at the same time. You can be full of fear and worry and anxiety, or you can be powerful and full of strength, God's strength, but you cannot be both. You cannot be both. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid or fearful, but gives us power, gives us strength. The Greek word there is uh, dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. God's spirit gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, where he never made anybody stronger. Anxiety never made you one inch taller or gave you one year longer of life. It never did any of those things as we talked about last week. I mentioned this. It probably takes more years off your life. In fact, that's what uh, you know, studies show, that it, anxiety and worry takes years off of your life. Here's what God said through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God says, instead of giving in to fear, put your trust in me and you will be strengthened. It's not when I get strong, then I'll trust God. It is trust God and he will make you strong. Here's another strength wrecker. It is bitterness and resentment. Bitterness and resentment. It takes a lot of strength and energy to nurse and hold on to a wound. In fact, secular research confirms this. One university did a study that I was uh, particularly uh, interested in. They took two groups of people and they said, okay, we want you to remember a hurt, something that someone did to you. we, we, We want you to remember that. And half of the people had worked towards reconciliation with that person who had wronged them and had gotten reconciliation, the other half of the, of the group had not. They were still nursing that wound. And then they took them, they took them all, and they gave them a test. They said, stand and jump as high as you can, five times. Here's what they found. The people who had not forgiven the person who hurt them jumped three inch, inches shorter than the people who had. I find that so fascinating. One researcher actually said, when you carry a grudge, it's like carrying a weight. 
It literally affected their physical strength. The Hebrew writer put it this way in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. He says, see to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Bitterness and resentment will poison your heart. It will weigh you down. And maybe someone here today needs to hear these words. Don't let your wound become your weight and wreck your strength. Don't let it poison your heart. A strong person will become a forgiver and a forgiving person will become stronger. Fear and worry will wreck your strength. Bitterness and resentment will wreck your strength. Here's something else that will most definitely wreck your strength, sin and guilt. Sin is toxic to everything God created. It destroys health in every realm, physical, emotional, relational, spiritual. In fact, there's this interesting verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul is talking to the Corinthian church about just these selfish and sinful and ungracious behaviors and attitudes that are present when they're coming together to share in the Lord's Supper. And he even goes as far as to say these words in verse 30. That is why many of you, many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. And just to be clear, fallen asleep is a euphemism for dead, okay? He's not saying you stayed up late on Saturday night and now you're falling asleep in the, sun, in the sermon on Sunday morning. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, you, the, 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 as a result of, of these things, that's why some of you are not just sick, sick and weak, but you are dying. And we don't have time to get into all of that passage, and I know there's probably questions when we get into it, and I shuddered even bringing it up, but just, I, I wanted to bring that up to let you know and to paint this picture of how much sin wrecks our lives, certainly spiritually, but also physically as well. Literally, sin is powerful enough to wreck strength from every part of our being. It reminds me of David's words in Psalm chapter 33 when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. If you remember the story, he went for over nine months trying to conceal his sin with her. And he says in Psalm chapter 32, verses 3 and 4, when I kept silent, or in other words, when I refused to confess my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. When we walk in known disobedience, strength is drained. Strength is wrecked. In fact, let me say this. You cannot walk in known disobedience and act like the reason for your lack of strength is unknown. When we walk outside of God's will, it shouldn't be a surprise when our strength is absolutely wrecked. However, when we walk in step with God's spirit and align with God's will, he gives us strength. You see, it's usually not hard to find the reason why our strength is being wrecked. And by the way, I'm not saying that if your strength is wrecked, that those three things are always the cause of it. I am saying, though, that those three things are the cause a lot of times for our strength being wrecked. And sometimes that's a good process to go through to look at those three things and how those things can wreck our strength. But the, the, the reason for our strength being wrecked is usually not hard to find. The challenge is to find the willingness to do something about it. Usually if we look hard enough, we can see what's going on in our lives. The challenge is, are we going to be willing to do something about it? And just as there are some things that we can do that will wreck our strength, there are also some things that Scripture says that we can do that will build our strength. 
So let me give you a few strength builders that I hope will encourage us to run our race and keep us running after Jesus. Here's the first strength builder, God's word. God's word is a strength builder. Weakness is repelled when God's truth is received. David said in Psalm chapter 119, verse 28, my soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. David knew that the truth of God's word builds and renews strength. You cannot build spiritual muscle on a diet of junk food. As much as we would love that to be the case, especially physically, right? Wouldn't it be nice if your muscles grew when you ate cake? I mean, that that would be a beautiful thing. But we know that doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen spiritually. We have, to, we have to be mindful of what we are feeding our spiritual selves. What, what, what are we taking in? And that requires sometimes asking some hard questions about what we are consuming. What are our eyes consuming? What are we bringing into our hearts and to our minds? I, I think about the story of Jesus when he's tempted in, in the desert by, or in the wilderness by the devil. And he's been praying and fasting for 40 days and the devil comes after him hard. And you'll recall that every temptation that Jesus gets from Satan, you remember what he uses to repel that? Everyone, God's word. Everyone is repelled by the word of God. Now you may read that story and that, that, you know, that instance with, with Jesus and you say, well, yeah, that's Jesus, right? I mean, he, he can do things that we can't. And you're right. You're right. But if you go back and read that story, Jesus confronted Satan fully human. Now he's still fully divine, but he's also fully human. And everything he confronted Satan with is what you and I have access to. Prayer and fasting and storing up God's word in our hearts. All of us have the ability to do that. Each of us has the ability to to fast and pray and to store up God's word in our heart. Do we have the willingness to do those things? things. He met the enemy through those things, all of which are available to you and me. It reminds me of what John writes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 14. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. There's an old phrase, some of you have probably heard this, that a Bible that's falling apart belongs to someone, probably belongs to someone who isn't. You ever heard that phrase before? A Bible that's falling apart probably belongs to someone who isn't? And when I reflect on the people that I know who are strong in the Lord, they all have this one thing in common, worn out Bibles. Now, I get it is very convenient to have our Bibles on our phones, but I do miss the days when everybody brought their Bibles. I do miss those days. And you could see, not, not as a measuring stick to see whose Bibles were more worn out than the others, I'm not saying that at all, but to really have some context and be able to hold God's word in our hearts, not alongside of, here's the thing, and I don't want to go on too much of a diatribe. There are a whole lot of things in here alongside my Bible. Sometimes it's good just to put that down and and pick this up, which is just God's word. There, I'm going to get off my high horse and let that sink in for a minute. But um, it's good to be in God's word. It's good to hold it up as, as, as something that is meant to give us strength. And I'm not saying that a worn-out Bible means you're a strong person. I mean, there's plenty of old Bibles sitting in, you know, homes and, you know, churches that don't belong to 
to, to strong Christians, so to speak, and I'm not trying to get legalistic about it here, but uh, I am saying that a strong person usually has a worn-out Bible because they know the strength that God's Word gives to them. God's Word is a strength builder. Here's another one, obedience. Obedience is a strength builder. If you're in class, we, we talked a little bit about obedience is not what saves us, but it will build our strength. It will build our faith. And the cool thing is, the more our faith grows, the more our obedience grows, and the more our obedience grows, the more our faith grows, and, and it helps to grow us up together. If sin spills our strength tank, obedience fills our strength tank. Moses, in his final address to the people of Israel, before they're about to cross the Jordan, says these words from God, Deuteronomy chapter 11. He says, observe or obey, therefore, all the commands I am giving you today, so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Think about that, that. Obey so that you may have the strength and so that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your ancestors to give them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. Some of us need to change our view about why God gives us commands. He doesn't do it to bind us. God doesn't give us things and say, I just want to lord these things over you. God gives us these things to build us and to give us strength and to truly give us life. By the way, what is true of us or, uh, individually is also true of us collectively as a church body. Churches are stronger when together they pursue the mission of God and obey the words of Christ. It says in Acts chapter 16, as Paul and Barnabas traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. As we pursue and obey God's will, he will strengthen us. We will get stronger as a church. We will grow as a church. So don't wait until you are strong to start obeying God. Start obeying God, and he will make you stronger. Another strength builder we see in Scripture is, as we just talked about, community, our spiritual community, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and those spiritual relationships that we have, that one way to lean into God is to lean on other people of God. We saw last week how David felt absolutely exhausted he's be, as he's being chased by Saul and, and, and surrounded by other enemies. And there's this beautiful little verse in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 16. It says, Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. I love that. Helped him find strength in God. Let me ask you, do you have a Jonathan in your life? Do you have someone that you can go to? Someone that comes to you and helps you find strength in God? Because Jesus doesn't call not one single one of us to run the race of discipleship alone. Not, not one. Mutual strengthening is every Christian's need. By the way, it's also every Christian's responsibility. It's not just your need, it is your responsibility. You know, it's interesting. Jesus knew that Peter would betray him. But he also knew Peter would turn back. And he says to Peter in Luke chapter 22, verse 32, I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. God says through the prophet Isaiah, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, 
be strong, do not fear. The Christian life was not meant to be lived in isolation. It's meant to be lived in community. We were meant to do life together. And I know these last couple of years has caused a lot of us, a lot of Christians to be isolated, whether through things that happened or maybe even a function of how we have responded to those things. And I get it. I I, I get it. It's been a tough time to navigate in a lot of ways. But I also know that the way of Jesus and the way of discipleship is to do life with each other, with our Christian brothers and sisters. We all need committed spiritual relationships. We all need people that we can lean on. We all need a Jonathan in our lives that we can hold accountable and that can hold us accountable. We are stronger together than we can ever be apart. Here's another strength builder, something we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and that is rest. Rest is a strength builder. God made us for rest and God made rest for us. Go back and read Genesis chapter one or go back and listen to the the sermon I, I preached a few weeks ago. But when you go back, it says that just a little bit of review of what I talked about. There was, in Genesis chapter one, there was evening and then there was morning. We, we typically think there's morning and then there's evening. That's how our days go. But there was evening and there was morning. That's the rhythm that God wants to work into our lives. We tend to think, no, it's, it's, it's work, then rest. And God says, no, it's rest, then work. Think about this. Adam, this is something I didn't mention. Adam was made on the sixth day. His first full day of being a human being was a full day of rest full day of rest. And this is God's pattern that he's built into creation. If you remember, one of the things that we talked about a couple of weeks ago is that rest isn't simply about doing nothing, okay? It's not just about, you know, I mean, it can be that, right? And sometimes we do need that, and I'll get to that in just a second. But it's not simply about doing nothing. Rather, it, from a spiritual perspective, is about taking the time to stop and most importantly, to focus on the goodness of God to reorient our hearts and minds on the goodness of God. However, that being said, I told you I'd come back to this, there are times when it is needed and it is good for us literally to stop, to stop doing and to rest in God's goodness, to do what Psalm 46, chapter, chapter 46, verse 10 says, to be still and know that he is God to be still and know that he is God. Because here's the thing the enemy wants you to believe, that you have too much to do to be able to work any kind of margin into your life for rest and to be able to stop and allow God's spirit to speak to you and to rest in the goodness of his, of his grace and what he has given to us. So let me ask you this question. That's the lie of the enemy. Let me ask you this question. Am I talking to anybody right now who has more to do than Jesus had to do? Am I talking to anybody who had more demands on their time than Jesus had on his time? And yet it clearly says in the Gospels that it was his regular practice to go off and be quiet and be alone and still and rest in God. I told you this a couple weeks ago. If you don't make time, it won't happen. So you have to make it. If you're just expecting it all of a sudden, when's the last time you just unexpectedly found like two hours out of your day? That doesn't happen, right? Because something else comes up and something else comes up. 
You have to make time. And Jesus did. To be alone and to be still and to rest in God. Listen to what God says in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. And for some of us, and probably most of us, if we're being honest, we need to do something about our pace and to slow down and to be more intentional about creating margin in our life to rest and to regain our spiritual health and strength because rest is a strength builder and so is worship. So is worship. Weakness is expelled when God is exalted. Psalmist says in Psalm chapter 59, I will sing of your strength. In the morning I will sing of your love for you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. You are my strength. I sing praise to you. You, God, are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. Earlier I read from Acts chapter 16. Later on in the chapter, Paul and Silas are beaten and put into prison for healing someone of all the awful things to do. But they are beaten and thrown into prison. And yet, what do we find them doing? Verse 25 says they were praying and singing hymns to God. I love that Scripture goes on to say, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Of course they were. It's it's a beautiful picture. Not only was their worship uplifting to their strength, but it was also uplifting to those around them. By the way, I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus sang a hymn of worship with his disciples before he went out to go ultimately to the cross. Here's the thing I've learned about worship. It empties cynicism and hopelessness of its power. And you and I have all, we've all had this occasion. We've all had this circumstance and this experience. We are beat up. We are worn out. The week has been awful. It's just been taxing. We, you know, we're thinking, I don't know how I can get out of bed. And somehow we do and we make it to worship. We don't have the energy we think, but we make it to worship and we come here to worship with our brothers and sisters and we are uplifted by being here. We are strengthened by worshiping God together and nothing about your situation that's making you tired has changed. But you've changed because you've come into the presence of your brothers and sisters in Christ to worship and praise God. And you've experienced his presence and his strength. It says in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So worship regularly. It will strengthen you. Of course, all that being said, as much as we, we may talk about things that we can do to build our strength, and those are all good things. They're all good things that we can do. Plenty of good things that we can do, ought to do. But in the end, here's the reality. They don't mean anything if they're just about stuff that you and I are doing. If we don't realize that those things are tapping into the true source of our strength, then it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you involve yourself in. If you don't realize that your true strength comes not from those things or from yourself, but from your God, then none of that stuff matters because true strength is found only in God and in his grace to us. True strength comes not from ourselves, but it is a grace that God gives 
to us. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, the Apostle Paul told Timothy, his young son in the faith, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. A couple of weeks ago, or a few, three weeks ago now, I talked about, again, referencing that, that rest, the sermon on rest. And one of the things that we talked about is to rest is to trust that what God has done is enough. To rest in that reality. And the same recipe is true for strength. That true strength is found when we trust in the truth that what God has done for us is enough. That it's not about our strength or what we can do or about what we bring to the table, but rather it's about God's strength and what he has already done for us. It's about finding our strength in him and in his grace to us. You see, of all the things that will wreck your strength and your faith, perhaps there is nothing more exhausting than legalism and thinking that somehow you can earn it, somehow you can win the salvation that has already been given freely to you, that somehow you can find the strength in and of yourself to make it work. Legalism says you, you, you will never do enough. You, you can never be sure. So you always need to be on performance. And it is exhausting. And you know what it produ- produces? Fear, worry, Bitterness, resentment, guilt, it will wreck your strength. But grace will silence the voice of worry. It'll motivate the gift of forgiveness and erase the stain of guilt. There is a strength in the gospel of grace that will keep you in the race even when it's hard, even when you don't feel like you can keep going, there is a strength in the gospel of grace that will keep you in the race and it will help you to finish well. As the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse nine, it is good, it is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. So as we close our time today, I I hope this teaching is an encouragement to you. I pray that God will use this teaching and use his word to help you find what is wrecking your strength. And I also pray that God will use this teaching to help you find the willingness to do something about it. My prayer is that every time we come together, every time we encounter the living God, that we don't leave unchanged. That God moves us, molds us, shapes us, refines us in some way. One of the things that we talk about in in Cruz's baseball team, one of the coaches, he always says, just get a little bit better every day. And the goal is not for us to just, you know, get a little bit better, but it is to grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ and what he desires for us every single time we encounter him. And I pray that today this teaching will help you, help us to do and move in that direction. Because here's one more thing I've learned about strength. It is both a grace and a choice. Strength is both a grace and a choice. It is a gift. It is a gift and God gives us strength to run the race and that strength comes from nowhere else except through him. But you have to decide to run. You have to run. And so what's your next step to tap into the strength that God wants to give you? Maybe it means putting down this phone a little bit more and turning off the TV a little bit more and opening up this and digging into God's word. 
Maybe it means getting more involved and connected with your brothers and sisters who can encourage you and you, you can be encouraged by. Maybe it means getting real and honest with yourself and dealing with some sin and some issues in your life that need to be dealt with. And you've been pushing them down and pushing them down. Find somebody in your life who can speak some truth and you listen to them. Maybe it means becoming more regular in your worship of God. And I don't just mean here in these pews, but each and every day. How about this? Every day that ends in Y ought to be filled with worship of God. Whatever it is, let me remind you that God is eager to make you stronger. Strength is a grace, but it is also a choice. One last quick story, and then the lesson's yours. Many of you over a certain age are probably, and I don't mean this you know, meanly, but I'm just saying it's the facts. Many of you over a certain age are probably very familiar, much more familiar with those under a certain age with the movie Ben-Hur, right? Some of you are like, I have no idea what that is, okay? Um, But some of you are very familiar with that movie or at least know of that movie. It's one of the more popular and iconic films of, of all time. The main actor in the movie is a guy by the name of Charlton Heston. Most famous probably for his role as Moses in the movie The Ten Commandments. But in this movie, um, when they began working on Ben-Hur, the director went and talked to Charlton Heston about the, if you've seen the movie, there's this, this huge chariot race that's kind of a, a climactic scene in, in the movie. And so he talked to him about this, this chariot race, and, and the director thought it would be a good idea for Heston to actually drive the chariot rather than use a stunt double because he thought it would give the film more authenticity. And so Heston agreed to take lessons, chariot driving lessons, to make the movie as authentic as possible. Of course, this was no small feat and was much more of a challenge than Heston initially realized, but he kept at it. And after extensive work and weeks of practice, Heston returned to the movie set and he reported to the director. And he said, I think I can drive the chariot okay but I'm not sure I can actually win the race. And a smile came across the director's face, and I love what he said. He said, Charlton, you stay in the race, and I'll make sure you win. The director. And that's God's promise to us. You stay in the race, and he'll make sure you finish strong and win.